0: Hey, this is noah levine founder of against the stream refuge recovery and dharma punks thanks for tuning into the podcast i hope you're enjoying the dharma together may we create a positive change on this planet if you feel moved to leave a donation there's a link in the show notes may our paths cross soon welcome everybody we'll get started anybody here for the first time tonight welcome 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 back, everyone else. Welcome to anybody that's Zooming for the first time. It's the regular Monday night class of Against the Stream. Um, Some form of this uh, weekly class has been happening here in Los Angeles for, on the west side in Santa Monica and Venice for, I guess it's 16 years now, regular Monday night class. I've been showing up every Monday almost every Monday. Some of you have been coming for quite some time. So welcome back to uh, everyone and, and welcome to anybody that's checking it out for the first time. Against the Stream is a meditation center. So it's a central part of Buddhism to uh, develop community to meet other meditators and to develop relationships, friendships, connections with other people on the path. Uh, the Buddha said uh, we take refuge in the potential of our own awakening, that through these practices, mindfulness and uh, the renunciation, the Eightfold Path, we can um, come to awakening. We can, we can become a Buddha and take refuge in your own potential to awaken. Um, and we take refuge in the Dharma, which is the truth that gets revealed, and also the teachings, the teachings like the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path that, that guide us to awakening and freedom. And we take refuge in the Sangha, Sangha is the word for uh, community, uh, with the understanding that all of what we're trying to do is relational. We're trying to learn to be mindful and present uh, in how we communicate and how we listen and how we, uh, have conflict, you know, the kind of real, real life, uh, um, activities of how do we bring this into every aspect of our life. Yeah. Um, and so we need community and it's helpful to have like-minded community, to have people who are also like you trying, trying to, uh, not suffer so much and um, to be more wise and more compassionate and experience some freedom. So central part of my personal motivation in teaching is to help people develop Sangha. And I mean, I'm happy to teach and give the instructions and give the Dharma talks kind of over and over and over. <laughs> um, you know, I still I still love teaching, but the, one of the things that keeps me so committed to it is getting um, you all together to meet each other, whether it's at home on Zoom or, or in the room. So uh, I like to begin by asking you to introduce yourself to a couple of people in the room that you don't know yet, so that if you come back regularly, you'll start to get to know each other. So take a moment to introduce yourself to some folks. I'll throw you in some random breakout groups at home. We'll have a period of meditation. I'll offer some meditation instructions, uh, starting with posture, which is find a, Way to sit that's upright, but still comfortable, still relaxed. And as you're ready, allow your eyes to be closed. (laughs)
1: Thank <laughs> you.
2: No, are you muted?
0: Oh, I was muted. My fault. Hard, to hear, hard to hear me when I was muted. Establishing mindfulness, which is bringing our full awareness to the present time experience. Mindfulness of the breath, the body, sitting. Breathing in, feel the sensations that the breath creates. Breathing out, see if you can soften your belly a little bit more. Let go of any tension, resistance, holding in the stomach. perhaps even using the word soften as you exhale so that the body is upright but hanging loosely around the upright skeleton. Mindfulness receives the breath, knows whether we're breathing in or out. No need to control or manipulate your experience but to investigate it and I find that this kind of meditative awareness works best when we bring in intentional attitude of friendliness of acceptance and Kindness, rather than trying to be good at meditation, just be as kind and patient as you can as you attempt to pay attention. In this human experience, there's a mind that thinks and plans and remembers, fantasizes. There's a body that feels, sees and smells and tastes, hears. We bring our mindfulness to our whole being, this experience of sensation and emotion, mental activity, In the beginning, it's often good to choose one part of your experience to pay primary attention to. We often start with the sensations of the breath, breathing in, know that you're breathing in, be mindful of the sensations the breath creates. Breathing out, know that you're breathing out. You don't have to use the breath, you can use sound. Listening to the ringing in your ears. The sounds in your space, internal, external. You can choose to pay attention to your body, the contact touch points where you're sitting in the chair, the cushion, the couch. We're bringing our full attention to something that's happening right now. Sounds, sensations. In In this way, we let go of being involved in the thoughts about the future, our hopes, our expectations, our worries. Let go of the past. The re- reminiscing, resenting, tendency of the mind. Not trying to stop the mind, but trying to stop being involved. Let the thoughts be in the background. As you try to bring your full attention into your body, breathing, sitting, Hearing. The quality of curiosity and interest, inquiry, investigation into your moment to moment experience. Try to get really interested in what the breath feels like or how the sounds are changing, the arising, sustaining, and passing. if you've taken a narrow focus on the breath or sound, begin to expand your awareness, become interested in what else your body's experiencing right now. What other sensations, the arms and legs, head and face, trunk of the body, Where are you experiencing unpleasant sensation in the body? Scanning your body for pain, discomfort. And if you find some, allow that to be the object of mindfulness. Investigate unpleasant sensation. Where does it begin and end? What is your relationship to discomfort? How much aversion, how much craving for it to go away? Allow yourself to be tolerant, accepting, friendly towards your own pain. allowing discomfort to be present investigate for pleasant sensation or anything that's feeling agreeable good pleasant How much of the body's experience in this moment is neutral, neither pleasant nor unpleasant? The attention is so drawn towards pain, we tend to ignore all of the neutrality. Maybe you can direct your attention to some neutral sensations in the body. Rather than ignoring our minds, including the emotions and thoughts, the process of planning and remembering, judging and fearing. Perhaps naming, what's your mind doing right now? What is it thinking about? And just as we investigate the feeling tone in the body, you can do the same with your mind. What thoughts are pleasant? Not trying to think about anything, just observing what's arising in your mind. And then acknowledging that's a unpleasant thought. Thoughts have a feeling tone and that's a pleasant thought. Unpleasant emotions arising in the mind, being felt in the body. Pleasant thoughts. Arising in the mind, feel pleasant in the body. I want to talk about um, mindfulness and the benefits and um, how central uh, mindfulness is to the Buddha's experience, the Buddha's teachings, what we're doing, trying to do here at Against the Stream. Um, trying to be present, trying to be mindful, trying to see clearly. And that's the core, which is that um, if we train our mind to pay attention, to investigate, to contemplate and uh, get interested in what's happening in our own minds and our own bodies, both internal and external, Uh, we can begin to see more clearly and to come more into um, harmony with reality, to not be so uh, adversarial or uh, not to experience so much suffering about the realities of our own minds and bodies. When we truly turn towards it and see, oh, this is the way it is. My mind's like this. My body experiences pleasant and unpleasant and neutral sensation. And it's mindfulness starts to reveal to us that it's not so much what's happening as how we are relating to what's happening. We see as we pay attention and your knee starts to hurt or your back starts to hurt or whatever hurt tonight, something hurt probably at some point, something unpleasant, sore ass syndrome, or maybe your body was comfortable, but pr- probably some unpleasant thoughts entered. something. Um, and mindfulness shows us like, oh, this is just an unpleasant thought, but I hate it. This is just an unpleasant sensation, but I hate it. I don't I can't tolerate this discomfort in my knee or my back or my neck or, And so the sensation itself, like pain gets such a bad rap. (laughs) Pain is innocent. Pain is not, here's. I mean, here's the radical thing that mindfulness reveals. Uh, Pain is not the cause of suffering. Pain is natural, normal part of reality, part of having a body, part of incarnation. Pain is a given. It's unavoidable. It's natural. It's our relationship to pain, mindfulness reveals, it's our relationship to pain that's the problem. It's what you do with your pain, towards your pain, about your pain. Because, and here's the bad news for anybody who's not already aware of this. You know, Buddhism says if you are mindful if you practice, if you follow this path, you can come to a place of non-suffering freedom from the definition of Nirvana of enlightenment is that you can be free from suffering in this lifetime. Like what an amazing idea that you don't have to suffer at all anymore. But then as you look closer it doesn't say you'll be free from pain (laughs) it doesn't say you'll be free from difficulty and you know all of the regular challenges of loss and uh, conflict and it just says you will learn to not suffer about your pain you will learn to not suffer about living in this world of constant change and almost constant challenges you know if you're paying attention. I mean, maybe sometimes you have some periods of ease and well-being and shit goes your way for a little bit, but it never lasts. And so mindfulness reveals three... So I want to back up a little bit and say, because maybe there's the question, I don't know if anybody has this question, I've had it, which is like, well, why, why is it so hard to be mindful? Why do we human beings have to train our minds to be mindful? How come we're not just naturally like it it all makes so much sense, like pay attention? How come it's so fucking hard to pay attention? And, um, you know, the why, the, the Buddha tends not to answer the why. I mean, I'll, you know, what makes sense to me is just like evolutionary biology we our biology our bodies have evolved into such a way that we're still fueled by this survival instinct that isn't concerned with happiness it's concerned with survival mindfulness is not something we're born with because you don't need it to survive and our species you know evolution and Instinctual drives isn't interested in happiness. You know, our big brains, <laughs> our big conscious neocortex is very interested in happiness. How can I be happy? But your nervous system, your uh, default settings aren't about like, how can I be happy? It's just, how can I avoid pain and therefore survive? How can I get as much pleasure as possible and therefore survive? And so that's, I think it's very important to back up and to just acknowledge that we're these animals, human, homo sapiens, homo erectus, animals that most likely have evolved, you know, from, you know, the different phases of evolution and, and we're born into a, a survival instinct that doesn't include mindfulness. Children are not mindful. <laughs> you have kids? They're present in some ways, but the, like they're not able to turn towards and see clearly without training the true nature of what's happening. It's, I hate pain. I love pleasure, instinctual drives. So according to the Buddha, according to Buddhism, mindfulness is this um, amazing, is this radical. I know directly uh, how powerful it is, but that it's something that we have to develop. It's a skill. It's a technique. It's a technique that the Buddha came up with. Uh, it's you know so interesting that at this point in modern society, Western society, mindfulness has become this buzzword, and um, you know it's all over psychology and medicine and self-help and everything's mindful. <laughs> uh, to the point where it's like been marketed so well that people don't even understand that it's Buddhism, intentionally divorced from Buddhism. Um, But there was no mindfulness before Siddhartha discovered it and then taught it as here's the path, Siddhartha, the Buddha, the historical Buddha. um, You're not going to find it anywhere in any other religious or spiritual, this kind of technique that we're doing was something that was created by the Buddha that led to his liberation. And then he said, here's how I did it and here's how you can do it. Here's the path, here's the meditation technique that works. If you develop it, you can end suffering by seeing clearly, by waking up to what's true about reality, about the reality of our own human mind and body, about reality of the world. So when we start practicing mindfulness and developing this skill, we start to wake up to um, three things. First of all, and you already theoretically you already know it, we all already know it, but it's different when you have mindful uh, insight into the reality that everything is impermanent. Everything, there's no exceptions. Everything is impermanent and so you know that right i mean maybe you didn't i don't think i i don't think i did i don't know i mean i wasn't really before i started meditating i didn't think i was that clear about impermanence but once you say it you're like yeah of course But knowing that kind of the difference between knowledge or understanding that is different than wisdom, which is why do we live so out of harmony with impermanence? Because if we really knew that everything was impermanent, why would we get attached to impermanent people, places, things, experiences? You know, it's impermanent, so why do you keep clinging to it? To whatever it is. (laughs) Because we're wired to cling. We're not wired to be non-attached. Mindfulness reveals on deeper and deeper levels impermanence and then helps us to be a bit less attached because we're like, oh, yeah, this is changing. Of course it's changing. It's its nature to change. There's a beginning, a middle, and an end. Paying attention to your own breath and meditation teaches you that. Each breath arises and passes, arises and passes, beginning, middle, end. Pay attention to your mind. Thoughts arise and pass. Sometimes thoughts can be very repetitive and they start cycling back through and it feels like I've been thinking about this shit all day (laughs) or all week or my whole incarnation or whatever it is. But if you bring mindfulness to it, you say, oh no, that thought arises and it passes and then it re-arises. It's repetitive, it's cycling, but it's not constant. You can't, try to think about something and keep thinking about it. you like, you'll lose it. Your mind will you know, go somewhere else. Start thinking about like, oh fuck, I was thinking about that. And then now it's over here and we have got to bring it back. So we meditate on the reality of impermanence. And this is one of the characteristics of our human experience of, you know, it's bigger, it's reality, it's the the Dhamma, the truth. And the more we can come into acceptance, the more we can come into harmony, I guess is the right word. A harmonious relationship with impermanence is non-attachment. Because everything is constantly changing, nothing is worth clinging to. Because the second characteristic is because everything is constantly changing, nothing is really reliable, ultimately. There is no security. There is no uh, satisfaction in in impermanent phenomena. And this this gets revealed and doesn't feel like such good news. Fuck. No satisfaction? Anywhere? No permanent, lasting satisfaction because everything's impermanent? No wonder I've been suffering. Because I've been really trying to hold on to some shit and create some security and create some certainty. And then I start to meditate and mindfulness reveals there is nothing reliable, no external conditioned phenomena. The reality is, is that Anytime we're looking outside of ourselves, or even to a lot of the internal experiences for security, for a reliable refuge, disappointed, never, nothing, it doesn't work because it's all impermanent. It's all in flux. It's all transient. The third realization characteristic of of reality that we're seeing through mindfulness, knowing is, and this is on some level, it's a bit confusing, but it's also pretty good news, I think, which is that it's not that personal. And sometimes I like to just frame it as it's not your fault. If you've felt a bit like a failure that you haven't been able to be happy, that you haven't been able to feel secure and satisfied and uh, you haven't been able to find a permanent, of course you can't because it's not possible. So in that way, it's like normalizing and it's also saying like, it's not your fault. It's not that personal. It's not a failure. It's not that if you were a better person you'd be more satisfied it's just the reality of impermanence and when we cling and try to keep experiences we suffer about them it's not pain's fault pain is natural it's normal it's impersonal it's just you know you got a nervous system you have a heart and a mind and a It fucking hurts sometimes. Normal to hurt. Pain's not the enemy. Feels like it though, right? When you're in the middle of it. It's a a threat to your very existence. I can't handle this. I can't tolerate this. I can't. This is going to kill me. And ultimately, that's the message, right? That fear, that anxiety, that. Gives us is like, this will kill you. Don't let this in. It doesn't give us the sort of like, it's impermanent. (laughs) It's impersonal. You'll be okay. Which is the truth. It's impermanent. It's not that personal. You'll be okay. It's just a process that's arising and passing. You got to feel some pain. Unpleasant thoughts and emotions and sensations come with the package. Mindfulness reveals the impermanent, the unreliable or unsatisfactory and the impersonal. And maybe, I don't know if you had this insight. I had this insight pretty early on of like, I was, okay, I was meditating. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like I can ignore my mind and I'm getting some relief from ignoring my mind. Mine's in the background. I'm over here breathing. But then that realization that, but my mind keeps thinking. And I'm not thinking, but I'm paying attention to my breath, but my mind keeps thinking. And then that question of like, well, who who the fuck am I then? (laughs) Am I the one thinking about the future and planning and remembering and judging and lusting and whatever my mind is doing? Is that who I am? Or am I being mindful of my breath. Cause I'm, I keep bringing my attention back to my breath and my mind keeps wandering. And so that insight that we have of like, Oh, I not actually my mind. My mind has a mind of its own. It just does whatever the fuck it wants. I'm paying attention to my breath and my mind is judging and lusting and resenting and telling me stories and usually giving me pretty bad advice. (laughs) Saying you don't pay attention to your breath right now. Don't don't be present. Like, let's suffer about some shit. (laughs) Don't just sit here mindfully, get mad, get sad. (laughs) Pay attention to me. Don't pay attention to your body. And that initial awareness of like, oh shit, I thought I, I thought I was my mind. I thought all of that was volitional. And then you start to see like, there's some discernment, the more you watch, and this is why it's so important to take mindfulness beyond just paying attention to your breath and to start observing your mind. Mindfulness of the mind, it's the third foundation. The Buddha says, start with the body, Uh, breathing, then expand to the emotions, to the thoughts, so that you can see the impermanent and impersonal and unreliable nature of your own brain, rather than taking it all personal. It's not who we are. It's not self, but it's part of the package. And And the more we're mindful of the body uh, with the breath, have you already seen how like uh, your body just breathes all by itself? You're like, you know, it's autonomic part of the body. It just breathes. You're not choosing every, well, I'm gonna breathe deep. I'm gonna breathe shallow. I'm gonna take a three second breath. I mean, you can manipulate your breath a little bit and, uh, but the more you relax and you see, oh, my body just breathes all by itself and there's awareness receiving, sensations that the breath creates that's knowing it body breathes uh the heart beats you don't sit here and take it personal do you you think you're beating your heart (laughs) you're breathing but when it comes to what's happening in our mind take that shit personal i'm thinking why why do you take it so, per- you know, like the, the mind, it's just what the mind does. It thinks the heart beats, the lungs breathe, the mind thinks, the intestines digest, the, you know, butthole poops. <laughs> I'm pooping. That's me, (laughs) but hold on, that's me, I'm doing that. Try not to do that, see what happens. (laughs) Try not to think, see what happens. Your mind will keep thinking, you'll keep shitting, you'll keep breathing. And, you know, so we bring this present time, non-judgmental investigative awareness to, and we start to see, oh, it's not that personal. It's just what a body experiences, just what a mind does. And rather than I, me, mine, we start to see this is the human condition. This is just what it's like. Without mindfulness, we are so self-centered. And we take everything so personally and therefore suffer so much, unnecessarily suffer so much, thinking it's all about because this is my pain. These are my thoughts. It's my poop.
1: <laughs>
0: poop is always funny. <laughs> So mindfulness reveals impermanence. And then this second foundation of mindfulness where we say, okay, well, everything's impermanent, unreliable, not that personal, not self. And we start to see the feeling tone as I was directing in the meditation. Oh, I perceive every impermanent phenomena that arises in my body and my mind and my heart as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. So three characteristics and three feeling tones. So every impermanent, impersonal, unreliable experience that we have, whether it's a image or a sound or a smell or a taste or a thought or a sensation in the body is perceived as pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Impermanent pleasure, impermanent pain, impermanent neutrality, constantly changing sensory experience that is received by a nervous system that hates pain, loves pleasure. By a mind that takes it all personal. But mindfulness starts to see like, oh, I'm taking it all personal. It's just pain. It's just pleasure. It's all impermanent. And mindfulness starts to come into more harmony to lead to uh, three wiser you know, first we identify like, okay, aversion, It's my default. When it's unpleasant, I hate it, I push it away, I resist it, I want to avoid it, I want to suppress it, I want to medicate it. Most of us went so far as to turn ourselves into addicts, alcoholics, trying to avoid our pain, drink it away, snort it away, shoot it away, smoke it away, that instinctual drive of like i don't want to feel this or you know some some people become addicts and they're not even running from pain they're just like this feels so fucking great i want to feel great all of the time i'm going to keep drinking i'm going to keep smoking i'm going to keep doing this over and over and over and over because it's way better than reality way more pleasant than having to deal with boredom neutrality, unpleasantness, I'm going to manipulate my experience to be as pleasant as possible as often as possible, which means I'm going to wake up and do bong hits every day for the rest of my life. Until that stops working, then I'll smoke crack. ultimately mindfulness is leading us towards wisdom a wise relationship to the impermanent reality that we are experiencing which when it comes to uh the pleasant experiences it's non-attached appreciation how do we meet the pleasure that's happening and enjoy it and not ruin it by clinging to it how many times have you done that something good is happening and rather than just allowing it to be happening and arising and passing and appreciating it being like that was awesome this is awesomely impermanent this is really deliciously temporary we want to keep it and then we suffer so much because we can't keep it but the more we wake up to the reality, the more we learn to have a, a non attached enjoyment, whatever's happening, love it. If it's appropriate, help not smoking crack. That's, you know, too much avoidance. But the, you know, normal human experiences of um, wholesome pleasures, relational, sensual, Uh, emotional arising and passing, we learn to accept the impermanent nature of experience and enjoy it. In one teaching, the Buddha bragged to uh, somebody that he was lecturing about about how him and his students had gotten to the place through mindfulness, where they were free from all of the causes of suffering and they were so non-attached that they could even eat delicious food without suffering about it. And it's this kind of you know the like tantra, you know tantric like can you enjoy sensuality is a spiritual practice? And so, you know, the monk is, the, the monks, the Buddha and the monks, they're, they're celibate. So they're not talking about like sexual Tantra, but they're just like, in order to enjoy really delicious food without getting attached to it, is a huge uh, realization, ability, is a, a form of, of liberation non-attached appreciation towards pleasure. Only mindfulness will really lead us to that, into that ability from this perspective. And then the um, relationship to pain has to change. We have to train our hearts and our mind to be friendly, To be patient, to be merciful, and ultimately compassionate towards our own pain. And this is so counter instinctual. Non attached appreciation and compassionate response to pain is why the Buddha said this path is against the stream. This is totally counter to the normal human way of being. It's normal to hate pain and cling to pleasure status quo totally ordinary not your fault to practice non-attachment and compassion even though like when you hear it I for me and it was when I hear it it's like yeah that makes sense I want to do that I want to not suffer so I want to try to be compassionate I want to not suffer so I'm going to try to be non-attached because it makes sense what is being said here theoretically but The actual application of meeting pain with compassion. So challenging. It's so counter. My mind is saying, you know, yeah, you should be compassionate. But my gut is like, no, fuck this. This hurts. I don't want to talk. I don't want to turn towards and feel it and uh, tend to it. I want to avoid it. But the more we become willing to turn towards, we increase our tolerance, we increase our uh, intimacy with pain. And we start to see it's not, it's not avoidable. It's not optional. It's not. The only really wise rational relationship to pain is compassion it's the only thing that works and compassion like mindfulness is a skill is something that we have to incline our heart and train our our mind to meet pain with mercy and compassion part of it is also just Meditation is so good for it and doing longer periods of meditation so that you get uncomfortable. One of the great benefits of sitting meditation is learning to sit with your pain and not just go back to the breath and ignore it, but bring your attention into the body, into the heart, into the mind, into whatever is unpleasant and relate directly with it, be with it with the intention of, can I care about this? I wanna learn to care about this. I wanna be friendly and tolerant and merciful, compassionate, have a a warm relationship to my own pain rather than a cold, scared, aversive. And lastly, and probably, uh, you know, probably most importantly, is coming back to the impersonal. Is mindfulness leading to the realization that um, this mind, this body, consciousness and memory and perception creates a feeling uh, of self, of I and me and mind that's very illusory that when you really look for it and even ask yourself in meditation, well, who am I? What, What? you know, am I the thoughts that are thinking themselves? Am I the body that is subject to sickness and aging and death and impermanence and doesn't, certainly doesn't obey me? I mean, if I had some control over this body, I would change it. It would be healthy all the time. probably wouldn't age so much, (laughs) whatever, like just seeing that, like, oh, I don't, I'm not in control of this mind or this body. The only thing I have some agency over is response, is how much awareness I bring to it, and then how personal I take it. So the three characteristics of the impermanent, impersonal, An unsatisfactory nature of all things. The three uh, feeling tones, perceiving pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, leading to three wise responses that will end suffering in our lives. This is the talk of 333. Not personal. Not taking it so personal. Not being so identified and non-attached appreciation and compassion. This is where mindfulness leads us. This is why we are sitting here paying attention, so that we can get the results of less and less suffering, more and more ability to respond wisely. So uh, we're about 10 or 15 minutes for dialogue, questions, comments, clarifications. Does it make sense? What are your thoughts? Um, Any questions about this perspective? In the room, you can raise your hand on Zoom. You can raise your hand, which is under your reactions button. Your little blue hand will go up.
2: My name John, I just wanted to um uh, 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 the assumption Here is now it, it almost uh it is uh, easy to overlook the uh it has this yeah, I uh, available or maybe not obvious necessarily to the of our culture's development yet, then it has its true uh, character of simple expectation where there reception reception worthy uh, condition and if it's gonna involve itself in reality but it deserves to have a boundary of mutuality or mutual involved, recognizable, or uh, noticeable, or uh, uh, um, attentive of the um, involvement, so that there uh, is respectful realization available for such a moment to have
1: meetings, and perhaps a residential
2: response what
0: Is there a question in there, John, or just a? Um,
2: uh, It it probably it had to do with uh, mutuality with the environment.
0: I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but it sounds pretty good.
2: Kind of like it. uh, Just maybe feeling unsure. how it should be perceived or uh, push forward to the, uh, the real uh, certainty, I guess, of uh, maybe the environment, like the idea of environmental uh, mutuality or uh, mutuality uh significance or discoverable significance it seems like a form
0: Sounds interesting to me. Well, Welcome, anyways. Nice to see you. Um, Andy, go ahead. Hey, can you hear me? Yep.
3: Hey, uh, two two comments and a question. Uh, First of all, I appreciate what you said about the, um, not all of us were using when we were in our addiction to run from pain. Um, I've always had Uh, I balked at that statement and because I feel like and you hit the nail on the head I just like to be drunk I just like to be drunk Um, you know my life is relatively placid but I just wanted to be drunk all the time and uh, so that's I it was cool to hear you say that also the thing that really uh, rang true for me and that I'm noticing now that I'm trying to investigate meditation and, and all of uh, the stuff I'm learning about is boredom is like always been a big deal for me. And I think that's one of the reasons I drank too. It was like entertainment and boredom is like, I find myself whenever I get home, it's like, I want to do something. And and when I start to listen to, you know, your YouTube or, or the um, podcast, you know, I'm trying to like, you know, let my mind settle, but I, it's wants to just go. It's like, well, get up. You got to go do this. You got to do that. And, and that's why I want to come and do it in person. Cause I think I'll be a little bit more settled there, but uh, yeah, really that that's helpful. My, my thought about my question was the pain. You know, you talk a lot about the different um, aversions we have um, and I'm sure you've answered, asked, answered this before, but uh, like, you know, mental health, like the pain that, that people experience, um when they're experiencing mental health symptoms, like what sort of input have you given them like, you know, embrace the crazy, you know, something like that. Um so yeah, I don't know if that sounded right, but that's my question. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Um well a couple things, a couple comments. Well anyways, welcome Andy, nice to see you. Um one is that it is true. There is something about gathering in a group, the, the kind of sangha, that um, the peer pressure of meditating together that you don't totally get on Zoom. You know, because you're still at your house and you can still turn your camera off and you know go get a cup of tea or do whatever <laughs> you want. We're here, like you're in the room, and there's a kind of like, okay, we're all meditating together. We're going to pay attention. We're going to have this conversation. Uh, so there is something about gathering in person with sangha that is important, and it's really cool that we have, you know, the ability to zoom into places on the other side of the country or wherever. Um, you know, when it comes to mental illness, um, I don't, I don't, I certainly don't have a an attitude. I don't think Buddhism has an attitude of like, um, you know, just tolerate it and just have compassion towards it. But if there is uh, appropriate medications, if there is appropriate, you know, there's all of these studies done about how mindfulness for a lot of mental illnesses is, is really, you know, will help so much for anxiety and depression and, um, you know, borderline, you know, cognitive behavioral, like all of these therapeutic techniques are based on mindfulness that are helpful for, you know, different um, psychological states. And there are some that, um, I mean, I don't, I don't really know, but that apparently, um, sometimes mindfulness isn't the right technique for, people um, in like the midst of untreated uh, psychosis or schizophrenia or something like that, that when treated and when uh, stabilized, mindfulness might be absolutely the right thing to identify the different voices in one's head and which ones are trustworthy and which ones are not trustworthy. And um, because it's, you know, it's what we are doing anyways. You know, like, we're all, uh, not to downplay um, schizophrenia, but we all have that on some level. <laughs> it's just, you know, we kind of know it. <laughs> the difference is like, oh, no, no, I know I shouldn't listen to those voices in my head, um, which is different than people that really believe them, right, and so sometimes medication is just necessary, is my sense. And thank then you. and then meditation will be quite helpful.
3: Thank you very much, thank yeah.
0: you. Yeah, welcome. Please.
2: Um, I just
0: I asked Jason this question, so I thought, no harm, asking So I really love these classes, like these, whatever you call them, talent meditation, recovery, guided meditation classes. And I know there's on the board there a number of other classes offered by this this um, organization and, and around. Yeah. But, um, you know, these 7.30 classes that are guided, I find them just really rewarding and fulfilling. And again, getting together in a group. And so I just wondered is there, I know it's Monday night, Wednesday night, 7 30 but is there any thought of adding more of these types of classes in addition to the ones that are offered supplementary to this, you know, I know Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, I and mean, whatever, but right. just um, is there any sort of discussion within the organization to, to add
2: more? I know the Zoom podcasts are available and podcasts and things like that, but I just meant the in-person meetings.
0: Um, the problem is it's really hard to find qualified teachers. I mm-hmm. uh, okay,
4: so don't teach anymore.
0: Oh yeah. We're pretty lazy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, there was a time when I started against the stream, however long ago that was about 15 years ago. Uh, and we had a meditation center in Santa Monica and one in Hollywood. I was teaching like five classes a week for a while and it was a bit much for me, um, to, you know, do so many classes every week. And, um, So I found that my, my groove is to just do one class a week right now. Um, And yeah, we just don't have, you know, there was a time where we had, you know, eight or nine teachers and we had classes every night and uh, just, you know, things changed. And so uh, it's, we don't have that anymore. Yeah. So. Yeah. I just find it really rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. It's so nice to have my own experience of, Um, you know, attending meditation groups was that I went to one or two groups a week for 20 years that I didn't, and I didn't have, there wasn't a center uh, that had classes every day when I was in um, Santa Cruz or in San Francisco. So there's a couple of different classes a week. And in between, I just did my own practice. And then I went Mondays over here and I went Wednesdays over there. And That was my formative, you know, practice.
1: Yeah, I might
0: be a lot better than my own. Yeah, doing it on your own. We're coming at 6.30 a.m. and meditating with Russ. He's here every morning, 6.30 a.m. Does a 45-minute silent sit. And so the center's open every morning at 6.30. And then we have the refuge meetings, which are recovery-based, peer-led recovery-based. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. Uh, Lee, go ahead, jump in.
4: Hey, Noah and Sandra. Thanks again for, um, yeah, for the talk and for the set. It's always extremely <laughs> helpful. I have a question about, it's kind of like a classic question, uh, and it's just about appreciating something without attachment. How to, you know, um, seems like that is the task, period. And I'm just wondering if there's any like simple. I know uh, like like a rep, you know, a phrase to repeat to bring the awareness of impermanence into that kind of moment. Because I really struggle with like I get really fucking excited and immediately, and it's like this absurd amount of appreciation that kind of turns immediately to an attachment. And I'd love to have just like the same way where I forgive you as much as I can right now. I have that in my tool pocket. It'd be amazing to have like a little sentence to jump into that kind of experience when I'm, having it. if anything comes to mind, thanks.
0: I mean, I mostly feel like you should make up your own. And, you know, this is advice to kind of for everyone, is that rather than like relying on the traditional Buddhist, I mean, I'll give you the traditional Buddhist answer in a moment. But um, sometimes with that, when you have this sense of like, oh, I just want like a positive aspirational phrase, make up your own. Right. And it's and it's almost just what you were saying, Lee, which is like, um, may I enjoy this without clinging to it? right? Like it's exactly what the question is. How do I do that? I don't know how to do that. May I learn to enjoy this and be excited and, you know, exuberant and passionate or whatever it is without fucking it up by clinging to it. And, you know, there's the humility that is like, no, I can't do that. But I want to, it's an aspiration. I want to learn that. I think that the traditional answer um, is is maybe around the kind of equanimity phrase of reminding yourself regularly, over and over, that um, it's not what's happening; it's how I'm relating to what's happening. It's not the pain; it's not the pleasure; it's my relationship to it. And so, the more you remind yourself of that, of that, uh, you know, what is that saying that this too shall pass? You know, just kind of staying in in uh, awareness of like this is impermanent and enjoy it let it be you know uh, a roller coaster of like wow that was amazing and then that was not so fun (laughs) but like do the whole ride rather than i only want the highs and i reject the lows and in between everything else is boring um this wasn't totally the question but i'm going to end with this which is you know i've said this thing about like non-attachment 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 The ideal when it comes to experience and relationships is connection. And so non-attachment does not mean detachment. It does not mean avoidance. It does not mean separating from our experience or from uh, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, or the ideal is I wanna be connected to what's happening as it's happening, whether it's painful or not painful but our tendency is to cling. And we find ourselves, oh, wow, this is amazing. I'm attached, clinging. And so then we let go. And then often there's an overcorrection of like, oh, I was attached and that hurt. So now I'm gonna detach and separate from. And then slowly we say, okay, let me come back into connection. Non-attachment is connected, intimate, uh, almost, I wanna almost use the term embracing. Embracing almost sounds like attachment, but embracing your experience, feeling it fully in relationships, feeling them, in joy, feeling it in pain, connected with it, not avoiding, not trying to push it away, not trying to keep it, but whatever the experience is, is trying to feel it, you know, like that's what awareness does. I feel it and accept it, pleasant or unpleasant, knowing changing. It's all changing. Hope that's helpful and we'll leave it there for tonight. Um, Do I have any announcements? New Year's Eve is happening here, uh, Friday the 31st, the uh, evening ceremony where we do Uh, a ritual where we take the um, five precepts and the three refuges. And then we have a reflection and a a candle lighting intention ceremony where you reflect on the past year, you set your uh, intentions for the coming year, you light a candle, you voice your uh, intentions to the Sangha. Um, It's going to be available on Zoom. People can do it. You can Zoom in. Uh, I think I'll create something where like I can light the candle for you and have it on the altar. For those of you at home, um, you can say your intention to the room. Uh, There's, I'm making available only 50 in-person slots. So you can register now if you want to come on the website against the stream.com, you can register for the zoom link or for the in-person and hopefully you'll join me. That's coming up. It's almost new year's Friday, the 31st. And then um, I've got a couple different programs that I'm going to offer next year, uh, some three-month courses, I think, some day-longs, and I'll get those on the schedule soon. We'll leave it there for tonight. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared with all beings in existence. May each one of us awaken, and together may we create a positive change on this planet. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.